Uh, so good morning. Um, man, it's great to see a lot of uh, familiar faces, but I don't, don't often see on Sunday, so it's great. Hi, Shannon. Um, oh, it got dark here all of a sudden. Are we going back to dark? Dark and light. Let's brighten it up. Let's brighten it up. All right. So let me cast this. Oops. Let's go back to that. Sanctuary TV. Boom. All right. Ah, the wonders of Chromecast. All right. So um, today I wanted to, to talk about uh, the Feast of Tabernacles because we just got finished celebrating it. Uh, who all here got to, to, to come during seven days of praise? Raise your hand if you got to experience seven days of praise. Awesome. Just so many people. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I was, I was so blessed. You know? uh, so for seven days here, the previous week um, in the back dingy warehouse um, got converted into the place of God's presence. Like, isn't that amazing? I mean, for those of you who, who know our warehouse, uh, it, it, it's a dingy, dark, dirty place, right? With worms, with worms, <laughs> sometimes mice. Um, but man, by the uh, by, the grace of God, and just like the 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 coming together of the body of Christ, like people come in to to put things together um, from all different churches across Columbus. The unity of the body. I was so encouraged. I was so blessed um, to see that. So people came together from all different churches around Columbus, made that dingy warehouse into a, a beautiful space uh, where people were able to to praise and worship twenty four seven. Uh, for seven days uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles. Like, how amazing. Sean here was living, like, in the, in the room. Like, he was in the presence of God for, like, seven days straight. It was awesome uh, <laughs> seeing him over there. Better, yeah, better than one day, better seven days for Sean. I, I remember walking in there, and there's this this mound of what I thought were blankets, and then it moved, and it was Sean. <laughs> so it was awesome. So I, I, I'm so blessed. Um, but really kind of thinking about through uh, what, what does Sukkot mean, that's part of the meaning is, is that coming together of the body of Christ, right? So Sukkot is, um, is a, a feast that is observed by the Jewish people, is commanded in the Old Testament, all right? So that's one of the, the beauties of it is the coming together of the people. Um, but I wanted to dive a little bit deeper also into some of the things that I learned this past couple of weeks during Sukkot, during the Feast of Tabernacles, about some of the other meanings behind what, what does it mean to, 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 um, to celebrate tabernacles. It's a weird thing to celebrate, right? So like when we think about celebrating Passover, okay, that makes sense. Like we remember the Passover. Why do we celebrate, uh, why does God want to celebrate tents? Tabernacles are with tents, right? Tabernacle is a fancy name for a tent. In fact, if you see a tabernacle, it doesn't even look as fancy as a tent. It's made out of leaves and like branches and stuff, right? So why celebrate that? What what is there for us um, in that? And I I think looking into it even more, um, there's a lot of beauty in it um, and and a lot of sobriety um, in it as well. All right, so let's dive into Sukkot, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, and see kind of where it comes from and what is God speaking to us about tabernacles today as Christian believers? Because we know the Jewish people celebrate it. What can we learn from it, all right, that God gave to them that is still a gift and a, an encouragement and a blessing for us here today, all right? So Sukkot, the history of Sukkot, again, um, it's in the Old Testament. It's a commanded festival that the Jewish people have been celebrating since the Exodus, all right? And it, one of the passages, in fact, you, you can find mentions of Sukkot, this feast, uh, in almost every single of the Torah books, all right? So Genesis obviously kind of describes that, that process of them leaving, but and then in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God mentions it in all four of those books. All right, so, uh, but this is kind of, I think, after looking at all of them, this is kind of, uh, in Deuteron- uh, Leviticus kind of summarizes it best about what it's all, what it, the letter of the law is about it. All right, so Leviticus 23, God instructs the Jewish people, you shall take the first day of the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. In fact, actually, in, in Jerusalem, uh, my sister and Becca, 
the other staff members, some of them were over in Israel, got to celebrate Sukkot there. And what I learned from some of their pictures is actually the Jewish people literally do this. They take the four branches, they tie them together in these really fancy looking branches, and they wave them every day. They just like go around waving them. Kind of like when we do on Palm Sunday, but a similar idea, but they wave them around every day. All right. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever, forever throughout your generations. You'll celebrate it in the seventh month, and you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. All right. So that was the core idea that God gave to the Jewish people is living in these booths for seven days to remember how God caused them in the wilderness when they, they left slavery, when they left oppression in Egypt. He didn't bring them right into the promised land. He actually had them dwell right in booths, wandering the wilderness for 40 years. All right. um, and so during the Feast of Tabernacles, they're actually supposed to dwell in booths for seven days. Who, who all here has been camping before or backpacking? Great. All right. Uh, it, you know, I, I have some friends that uh, I, I like camping uh, to a certain extent. Something like glamping. Have you guys heard of glamping before? Glamping? All right. So glamping, I think in our generation, become a little bit more popular, right? It's not like the old rugged kind of camping where you dig your own potty in the dirt and you, you, know, you have to like cook food. Glamping is like, you, you guys see that RV out there? Like that RV out there, people go around, they you know, like plug it in and like, oh, we're camping. But really, you know, you've got a shower, you got hot water, you got all this stuff, sort of stuff, right? That's not the type of camping that the Israelites did, right? They were out in the wilderness in the desert. Um, the, and in this commandment, uh, God actually tells them, hey, now you're in the promised land now. I want you to spend seven days during this feast actually living in booths. And people are like, I mean, this is probably how I would have responded too. It's like, man, I've got a pretty nice house. It's got heat and AC. I mean, I'll put up a tent and kind of, jump in it maybe a little bit or once or twice, but like seven days in a tent. Has anybody ever camped seven days in a tent? That, that's rough in it. That, that's rough in it, right? Um, so that's it, it, a hard, hard thing. And actually in the Old Testament, it says from the days of Joshua uh, until uh, one of the latter kings, uh, the Jewish people actually didn't do it. <laughs> they celebrated the feast, but they didn't actually put up the tents and lived in it. All right, so it was actually until, I, th- I think it was Hezekiah, when they re- restated uh, the, the, the feast um, that they were like, actually, we're going to build it. We're going to take it to the letter of law and do the actual tents. All right. So for seven days of praise, which is the event that um, we had here, their family that has been doing it for 16 years, and in previous years, they actually did put up tents and people would actually live on the property. All right. Uh, some people thought about doing it, but it was so cold here that you know, I, don't, I don't think anybody actually set up a tent. And did. But people were dwelling here. Uh, and I guess in some argument, Sean had sort of a blanket tent that he was under. So I think that kind of counts as well. All right. So that's the history of Sukkot. Very interesting history, right? So it's God's calling the, the Jewish people to, to remember. Again, it's one of the three important feasts that the Jewish people had to observe. All the men, Jesus said, were, uh, God said, were required to come up to Jerusalem. It's a pilgrimage feast. They call them a pilgrimage feast. There's three of them. There's Passover, Shavuot, which is weeks, and a uh, third one is Sukkot, the tabernacles. All right. So these are the highlight feasts of, for the Jewish people in the Old Testament. All right. And there's a reason for that, especially, um, and we're going to dive into the reason for Sukkot. All right. So the heart of it was God told the Jewish people he wanted them to remember that they were sojourners. All right. There's this word called sojourner, and that's kind of the word we're focusing on here today in the talk. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. All right. You were strangers there, that sojourner. God says in the Old Testament, he wants them to remember how they were temporary in their, their living in Egypt. They were temporary in their time in the wilderness. All right. So remember the wandering in the wilderness 
and to anticipate that even when they're in the wilderness, 40 years, living in tents, that there was a promise. God had given them a promise when they left Egypt, right? He said, I'm bringing you to a land of milk and honey. It's going to be a, a, a beautiful place, but you have to have faith and trust in me that we're going to get there. And in that time in between, you're going to learn how to grow in your faith by living in these tents, living in these twel- temporary dwelling places, camping, you know, camping. I mean, we, I, I would struggle to camp for more than, the longest I've ever camped is three days. When backpacking the Grand Canyon, it was rough. All right, it was rough. All right. Imagine we're camping for 40 years, 40 years. All right. But God was faithful to them, met them with manna daily, with water in the wilderness. They had to walk by faith literally every day for 40 years. All right. So that's the, that Sukkot meaning, this tabernacles, when they were dwelling again during the Feast of Tabernacles, is to remember the heart of being a sojourner, all right? That sojourner heart, remembering that, ah, this is, I'm, I'm not a citizen here, I'm not just here temporarily, I'm going to remember how I was walking through the wilderness, God was faithful, and I'm going to anticipate forward to the promised land. I believe God is going to fulfill the promises that he gave, all right? So that's the, the heart of the Sukkot meaning, all right? And that sojourner idea still applies to us as Christians here today. That word sojourner, that old Hebrew word, is also rife throughout the, the New Testament as well, all right? And we're called to remember that we're sojourners. Strong's is a, is a concordance of Hebrew words, but there's two words that are kind of translated into our English sojourner, all right? There's one that is the Hebrew gur, all right? And there's also a toshab, all right? So one is a, a sojourner. You might see it as sojourner, depending on your translation. You might also see it as a stranger, all right? And obviously, the definition um, is basically overlaps and is similar, but idea is that there's a person who resides temporarily in a place, all right? And brothers and sisters, that's all of us. That's all of us as believers of Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to dive into to the two aspects that we find of this sojourner idea in the New Testament. First is that we're sojourners in this world, all right, the world that we dwell in. And the second is that we're sojourners in this body, all right, the body that we have. So let's take a look at what, um, what we, uh, the Bible has for us in this idea. All right. So uh, the first uh, big idea of the sojourner is that we're sojourners in this world. And King David, the man who was after God's own heart, knew this well. If you read David's life story, all right, First Chronicles, the books of Chronicles, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, First Chronicles is all about Saul and David, all right, and it ends with uh, with David's death, right? In Chronicles, <clears throat> end of Chronicles is the last chapter of David's life. David has handed over the keys of the kingdom to Solomon, and he's about to die. All right. And what is the last thing that David, uh, David does? David is the sweet psalmist of Israel, the Bible says. He's this, he's this musician king. And the last thing in, in Chronicles that's recorded about him is actually a song. He gives a song. All right, of course he did, right? He's like the singer-songwriter guy, right? I'm long hair. He gives a song all right, to the Jewish people before he dies. And this is what's in the song in First Chronicles 29. And the setting, all right, is again, David's about to die. But remember what was on David's heart was to build a house for God. David is known for David's tabernacle, his tent, right? David built a t- had a tent for God. He wanted to build a permanent dwelling, a house. But God said, it's not for you to do that. It's for your son Solomon. But David, at the end of his life, dedicates all this wealth to building that house for God. And, but th- this is what he says. Remember that idea that David was, was given the, the idea for the tabernacle, but he never got to build the house. Um, but th- this is David's song. This is his last song before he dies. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus to offer willingly. And he's talking about willingly offering up sacrifices of wealth to build the temple. For all things come from you, and all of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for 
Building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I freely offered all these things. And now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. David, with his last, you know, last days, that's his song. That's his song. Recognizing that he's, about to, he's going to die soon, he, says, he remembers that he's a sojourner. Right? This is a temporary, temporary piece of his life. And then he's, he's giving for this abundance all that he has, that idea that everything that we have that we've built up. He, David is the king of Israel. He has all this wealth. He's built up this power. And he says, it's all from you. And I can't take it with me. I might give it to giving, to building the house of God, all right, because I'm just a sojourner and I'm about to pass out, through, pass through this life. All right. So his heart is on being a temporary, uh, a temporary citizen of that, of that land. And in Hebrews, in the New Testament, uh, we were actually called to have that same mentality, right? the same mentality. Right? When you think about yourself or you meet a new person or you introduce them, but when, when somebody asks you about yourself, what do you kind of tell them? Like, what are pieces of your identity? Uh, a lot of us, uh, for instance, for me, I, you know, say, I, I'm, I'm Joseph. Uh, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. You know, I'm Ohioan. Uh, I'm an American. Uh, I'm an Asian American, right? So those are all pieces of our identity, right? And a lot of that comes from where we're from, right? Where we, where we are. So maybe you say like, oh, I'm from... You know, Ian can tell, like, oh, he's, he's Korean, right? He's the Korean Ian. Or like <clears throat> all of us can say, or my mom would say, oh, I'm Taiwanese. She's very proud of the fact that she's Taiwanese. It's a piece of her identity where she's from. So a lot of what we identify with is where we're from, right? Where we, where we grew up, where our citizenship is. And Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament actually calls us as believers to think of ourselves primarily not of the citizenship of the earth that we're at, where our passport are, is from, where we've got our, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Chinese people come here are looking to get citizenship. The Hebrews writer says that actually the, the primary identity that we should remember as Christians is that we're not citizens of this world, the government that we're part of, primarily. We're actually citizens of a new kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews uh, in chapter 13 writes, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Uh, Columbus people were very proud of to be from Columbus because of Ohio State, right? We always identify as Ohio State. You walk around on a Saturday, half the people in the city have some sort of Ohio State gear on, right? Like, they're very proud to be from Ohio. And I mean, I went to school at Ohio State for 15 years, like, long, long time. I'm pretty proud to be, like, an Ohio State alum. I love Ohio State. I wear Ohio State stuff, all right? But Hebrews writer says, actually, the city that is to come, that is where our, 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 uh, our vision should be, all right? Um, in, he, in chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's that, that stranger's word, that sojourner word. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All right. Where do you identify with the city? Is it like the longing for home? All right. um, I, I've been struck by this a, a lot this past year. Um, 
My mom recently sold her house, and it's a house we've been in for about 30 years. In fact, if you go back in that hallway, there, there's, a, there's a picture of it. That's where the, the church started in the basement. The prayer room started in the basement there. That, that home was, we moved in when I was in like first grade, second grade, and so that's always been home to me. I've always been home. My mom recently sold it. I don't know if you guys have ever been through you know, selling a childhood home or something like that. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, you, you go through it, and you realize that, like, boy, these, these halls have always been home to me, and, and now it won't be anymore, right? Like, um, there is a, a homesickness that, that, that gets you when you, when you leave because there's just so many memories there. Like 30 years that we lived in that house is, is, is crazy. It's always been home for us. Right? Like I know every single inch of that house. Um, but God says that all of us should know that our, wherever you're living right now, whether you're living in an apartment or you have your own house, that, that's a temporary dwelling, right? That's a temporary dwelling. You're not going to live there for the rest of your, all of your life. And even if you even die there, that is not something you take with you. That is a temporary home. We look to the city that is to come, the promised city, the promised home. All right? uh, in our generation, it's a big deal, right, to, to buy a house. Um, you know, everybody's always kind of like, oh, that's the goal, right, is to, to buy a house, to be a homeowner, right? I know Vic and Sharon, you guys are homeowners, and uh, a couple other people around here are homeowners, and it's a beautiful thing, right? I, I bought, have a, bought a house for the first time this past year, uh, and it's a huge blessing, right? You know, you're, this is your place. You don't have to ask the, uh, the, the landlord, can I put this TV mount up? You do it, right? I, I can, can I paint this wall this color? You just do it. It's, like, it's yours, right? You, 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 you kind of just do it because you're a homeowner. Um, and uh, a lot of people in our generation, Vic probably and Sharon probably know this well, people in our generation have come up with this new word, uh, which is the forever home. Have you guys heard that before? A lot of people, uh, <clears throat> a lot of my friends, you know, I'm getting older, I'm in my mid-30s, and people are like, not only they're buying homes, they're actually building homes. One of my best friends from college, like him and his wife, for 10 years, they've been saving up since the end of college to build their forever home. All right. I'm not saying this is a bad idea, but I'm just kind of contrasting all right, with, with the Bible. So, uh, is uh, maybe in the previous generations is dream home, but our generation calls it the forever home. Like they have been planning this out for a decade. They have every single fixture, every single appliance, uh, the number of rooms, the architectural design, like everything that they want. This is their forever home. When they move into it, they're never leaving. Like my friend's wife was like, I am dying in this house. All right. And it's a beautiful house. It's up in Dublin. Uh, we got to go check it out this year. They finally finished building it. It's, it's, it's beautiful. All right. Everything that they've wanted, uh, they desired. It's their forever home. Uh, and, and the spiritual principle on that is, too, like, spiritually, that is, should be our desire, right, is the, the, the forever home. The forever home, not in our physical home, be here, but that desire, that homesickness for, I'm not there. I'm not there. Where I'm at right now, here in this world, is, is, is a tent, is a tabernacle. It's temporary. But having that desire, do we have that desire, that homesickness for the true, the, the true forever home, the true forever home where we get to dwell with God? Like, have you let that hit your heart recently? That mm, there is a place for me where I'm, I'm going to feel at home. All right, because there should always be this this homesickness in our heart wherever we go. Even if the, the God's blessed us a beautiful place, God's blessed us with a beautiful home. We all, you know, are blessed to, to live and have a house, you know, a roof over our heads. But there should always be this this inkling in the back of our hearts that. This is not our forever home. All right? This is not our forever home. And it's easy to fall in that trap, especially here in America where we're wealthy. You know, uh, the Bible talks about having these plans, right? We plan, we save up. And these are all good things, right, to save. It's not bad to save. Um, but Jesus actually says, like, woe is you who puts your heart in that, right? Like, this very night, your life could be demanded of you, right? Uh, so we make these plans, but it should be by the will of God because it's temporary. You can't take any of it with you. All right? Our forever home is not in this world. Our forever home is with God. So, um, <clears throat> you know, because we are citizens of another land, all right, 
that citizenship of another land, you know, all of us are proud to be Americans or, you know, a lot of people who come over from uh, China desire that citizenship in the U.S. Do we have that same desire in our hearts to, to be a citizen of the, the, the heavenly kingdom? In Ephesians, Paul writes uh, in chapter 2, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Again, that's sojourners. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Uh, we were in Israel this past summer, and uh, one of the girls that was on the tour trip actually had to cross over from Jordan into Israel. All right, And so if you know the situation in the Middle East, there's a lot of tension. Obviously, everybody knows that it's the most contested ground. The border crossing from Arab uh, countries into Israel is, is highly guarded because of all the dangers of, you know, uh, attacks and terrorist activity. So she had to cross from Jordan. She was a missionary in Jordan. She had to cross into Israel. <clears throat> At the border crossing, there's just swarms. She said there's just swarms of people, right? Everybody's trying to push and get up to the front. She took her passport and just waved it, her U.S. passport. She's waving her passport, trying to get the attention of the guards, because otherwise, like, they're, they're just not letting anybody through. She just waves her U.S. passport. They see the U.S. passport, and they usher her forward, all right? They usher her forward through, and they get her through this, this dangerous crossing. Uh, and, and that's the same idea. Like, we should, the, the, that our desire, so that U.S. passport across the world has power, right? Like, the, the, the U.S., for all the, 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 Pros and positive. Everybody loves to have that U.S. passport. It opens opens doors, right? Like if you run into trouble in another country and you show your U.S. passport, you know, hopefully you're not getting thrown in jail. You're just getting tossed to the consulate, right? Like there's a protection about it because of that U.S. citizenship. In the old, in the New Testament, same sort of thing. When Paul was being tortured, do you guys remember the story? Paul being tortured, and all of a sudden he's like. Can you guys do this to a Roman citizen as they're whipping him? And then they're like, you're a Roman citizen? And everybody just like backs up. They like get out of the way, right? Because that, that power is power in that citizenship, all right? That desire to be a Roman citizen. The Roman citizenship was something that, that had to be either bought or, 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 uh, or inherited because you were, your parents were, all right? Uh, and the same, that's, that, that's the setting for which uh, Paul here is talking about in Ephesians, being a fellow citizen. We're a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's, that pass, that's the passport that gives us access, right? And that's the passport the, to which the ultimate citizenship lies. Not here in, in this earthly world, but citizenship of that kingdom above. And so he says we're no longer sojourners, not having a temporary place, but our actual ultimate citizenship is with the household of God, being part of that citizenship, the country, the kingdom of heaven. And I love the ending of that, uh, that passage. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that's that second aspect of, of being a sojourner, is that we are sojourners in this body as well. Not just in the, the where we're living, this external world. We're sojourners in the world, as we've just seen here. Okay, Our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Our ultimate home is in the city of God. We're also sojourners in this physical body that we're in here as well. The physical body in, in the New Testament... Paul writes about how we're actually a dwelling place for, uh, we're a dwelling place for God, right? He comes in and we're almost a temple or tabernacle for him. But even then, this actually, this tabernacle, temp, temple is just like the Old Testament tabernacle. It's temporary. It's temporary. All right. And we're going to dive into the beauty of that because even though God, the Holy Spirit dwells in this, in this body, in your body, in my body, the Holy Spirit dwells in it as believers, this body is temporary. Just like the tabernacle of David was temporary, the tabernacle of Moses is temporary. There's a future dwelling that is permanent, all right? And, and God talks about that. So we're, let's jump into that aspect of being a sojourner in this body. 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, that's our body, he's talking about the resurrection here, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, the Sukkot, this, that's that same word, that Sukkot, that tabernacle. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All right, so that perfectly sums it up. This is a tent. You're looking at, like, everybody just look at your hand. Look at your body. Like, this is a tent. Like, it's temporary. Like, I think for us as young people, it's hard to kind of concept, conceptualize it. Like, oh, like, this is the body that I die in, right? You're not getting another one, like, before you die. This is the body that you die in, Right? Uh, when working in the hospital uh, for, you know, when, when people get sick or they have cancer, that the number one thing that the patients tell, tell me all the time is, like, they feel betrayed. Right? They feel betrayed by their body, right? This body that has always worked for, for you or worked for us, like, right, you say, I want to run, your body runs, right? Your body walks. You point in a direction, it goes. And all of a sudden, like, with cancer or sickness, all of a sudden that body betrays you. It's like the, with cancer especially, it's actually your own body attacking you. Right? There's this betrayal. This tent is temporary, um, and, and one day, this body will, will betray us. Um, you know, death, that idea of death uh, is, is um, in, in many cultures, so, so hard to approach. You know, in Asian culture, uh, to even, like, talk about death is, 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 is very, very much not, not appropriate. And I've had friends and, and, and people who, um, if their parents or their grandparents have, like, a, a bad diagnosis, they don't even tell them. Like, they don't even tell them because they don't want to talk about death. Or uh, some people who have been in Asia, Katie, you, you, you spent time in China. Have you ever ridden, do you remember riding an elevator in China? You don't remember? Okay. Well, if you ride an elevator in China, there's actually a missing floor, okay? If you're in China, there's a missing floor. Do you guys know what the, the missing floor is? It's four. Yeah. So all the Chinese people are like, oh, it's four. It's four. Huh? There's a missing floor in the elevator. You can't go to it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a missing floor in China. So you, if you guys ever end up in China or Taiwan, I think a lot of them are. So, so there's a missing floor, right? Do you know why it's missing? The pronunciation is the same pronunciation as death, all right? So they don't even build that floor. Or like, I mean, there's a floor, obviously, right? If you're outside the building looking at it, there's a fourth floor, all right? But if you go in, you won't find a number for the fourth floor. It just skips it, all right? You go from the third floor to the fifth floor, and the elevator, there's no number for the fourth floor. You, you skip it. You just go to the fifth floor. Because that number four in Chinese has the same sound. It's not even the same word, but the same sound as death. All right? That's how much the Chinese people in Chinese culture fear death. All right? They won't even name the floor. You can't live on the fourth floor. No, because even if they built a fourth floor, nobody would live on it. Right? Nobody, would, nobody would rent it. Nobody would, would go on it. The ancient emperors were so obsessed, were so fearful of death, right? The legend goes that actually, the legend in Chinese history, at least, is that Japan was actually founded because the emperor was like, heard that the fountain of life might be there. So he sent a ship of like children over there to, to Japan, right? And then like the, uh, the emperor was so scared of death that he heard that like mercury could like give you long life. So this dude is drinking straight up mercury, all right? Well, he got... <laughs> 
yeah, I know. Exactly. Ironic, right? There's, there's a spiritual principle there we don't have time to dive, dive into. But so, like, he's just straight up drinking mercury because they thought mercury, the silvery metallic metal, was like the, an elixir of life. Uh, the, his burial place in, uh, in Xi'an, they actually can't, they actually haven't opened it yet. You know, they, they haven't opened his burial place because there's rivers of mercury. He buried, they had, he had, had them bury him with just like rivers of mercury. Like the, the, they have the, the plans for his burial site. There's mercury everywhere, like mercury, just tons of mercury. So it's like, well, if you're going to go open that place up, like you're exposing people to like mercury and stuff. So that's how, like, that's how much they feared death, all right? And there's a reason for that, right? There's this ultimate uh, death that we all must face. All of us have to face it, 100% of us. All of us in this room looking around, all of us are going to die. All right. Unless the Lord comes back before that. Amen. But all of us are going to die, right? The, the death rate is 100%. 100%. All of us are going to die. Um, but Paul has this, uh, and that's that idea of dust to dust, but Paul has this encouragement that he says to the Corinthians in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. All right? That's the idea. We're sojourners in this body. We have to remember that. All right? this, is, this body is temporary. When we look at our hands, these are the hands that, this is the body that I'm going to die in. Like it's going to age. It's going to fall apart. It's going to betray me at some point. This body's going to betray me. No matter how much I'm, I'm exercise and health, which I'm not saying those are bad things. We all should you know, exercise, eat healthy, and, and take care of the temple of God that's given us. But remembering that it's temporary. It's just like the tabernacle. Um, that they lived in. It's temporary. It's a temporary thing. Mitch is a bodybuilder. He's, he, he competes in competition. All right, he's a strong man. All right, the, the difference is, is negligible to those of us who are not in it. All right, so, but he disciplines his body and what he eats and what he works out with. No matter how much he puts into his, to, to working out, and again, I'm saying this as a, as a, as a you know, obese guy, like, you know, like no matter how much he, he, so take it with a grain of salt, but no matter how much he puts in, he's not going to live forever. None of us, no matter how healthy we eat, which again, they're good things, no matter how much we work out, and it's not going to live forever. No matter how much we put into it, we're not going to live forever. It's a tabernacle. Like, look at your body and just remind yourself, this is a tabernacle, all right? It's temporary. Uh, the, I, there's an idea um, in, uh, in, in the Roman times uh, called memento mori, all right? Uh, the Puritans actually put this Latin phrase on a lot of their tombstones. If you go to England, it's this Latin phrase, memento mori. And the translation of it is remember that you must die. All right, Remember that you must die. Not in a morbid sort of way, but in a humbling sort of way, because it's truth. All right, It's truth. This is the truth that the Chinese people can't, like, uh, culturally, like, we can't accept. Like, if you tell somebody they're going to die, you, they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to talk about it. All right, But the Romans did. They wanted to remember it. The story from memento mori goes like this. So... The, uh, the Roman generals had a lot of power in that time. Right? Remember Julius Caesar? Roman generals had tons of power. And whenever they had a huge accomplishment, they conquered a new country, a new area, they would actually get a parade. They would get this parade that paraded them through Rome, all right? and all the people would basically worship them, like worship them. It's like the height of being a general. And, uh, and the, the Senate was so worried about them getting such a big head, getting so much pride, thinking that they might overthrow the, 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 the Senate, that they actually had a servant ride, ride uh, a slave, ride in the cart with them as they're being paraded around Rome, worshipped by everybody. And that slave had one job, which was to whisper in their ear as they're being celebrated by all the people of the city. That slave would whisper over and over in their ear, memento mori, memento mori, memento mori. Remember, even in the height of your celebration of your success and everybody worshiping, remember, you're going to die. 
All right. Remember, you're going to die one day. All right. It's that, that humbling aspect of remember, no matter what accomplishments you have, no matter what beautiful house you build, whatever success you have in, in your job, remember, death rate is 100%. You're going, we're going to die one day. That, that is, is a biblical principle to remember that, that this te- temporary body tabernacle is going to fall apart. We, we often don't think about how we're going to age, but those of us in our you know, 30s and 40s are starting to get a better idea of it. I think Vic probably knows. We used to play basketball together, and we don't, we don't play basketball anymore, all right? Because you just can't. Like, you, I, my knees can't handle it, right? Because you age. It's hard to think about that when you're in college. Uh, you know, we've got some, the young Gen Z guys led worship today. They probably don't think about, do you guys think about death? No. You guys are the prime of your life. You guys are in college, right? I remember one time, like Daniel, we took a picture of Daniel and used one of those uh, internet filters. Have you guys used those little filters on your phone? You can actually make somebody look old and fat. We made Daniel look fat. Daniel was like, has 0% body fat, right? He's like, he's like in the prime of his health. And we took it, we made this little like kind of Snapchat filter thing where he, he was fat Daniel. All right, it's fat Daniel future, right? But honestly, like all of us and have, have that. If you take a little picture of yourself and do that age thing, guess what? It's, it's fun for some laughs. But that's coming for us, right? It's coming for you. It's coming for you, right? Uh, we're all going to age. We're all going to, to, to come to that point where we have to reconcile with that idea of memento mori, that this life is temporary. My sister, have you guys ever seen my, uh, my sister's cell phone? Anybody ever looked at my sister's cell phone uh, background uh, wallpaper? What, what's on her wallpaper? It's a tombstone. Yeah, so I mean that sounds uh, uh, morbid to some some people, but I think I think it's actually wise and biblical. So she actually has a tombstone, my grandpa's tombstone, uh, and it says Juan on it, right? So my my grandpa's tombstone, uh, and she has a life calendar as well. All right, so I, I think like those are actually uh, helpful things to to count down on. All right, uh, she has a picture of that tombstone to remind her of that same principle that this life is temporary. All right, this life is temporary, and even though it's tough to reconcile that. And I think without God, I mean, I understand like the Chinese mentality. Without a hope of, of the resurrection, without the hope of Jesus Christ facing death in the, in the eyes, that's a very difficult thing to do, right? Um, but because we're Christians, we should face that, that death with hope because Jesus conquered death. And that memento mori, that tombstone, instead of becoming a, a thing of fear, is actually a thing of hope, right? A thing of hope. Uh, as Cindy mentioned, not only does my sister have a picture of a tombstone on her phone, phone back, uh, uh, wallpaper, but she has on the back of her Bible a, a life countdown calendar. All right. So again, we're not promised tomorrow. All right. But generally speaking, do you guys know what the average life expectancy is in the United States? Very good. Oh, wow. All right. You've been looking this up? <laughs> how, how old are you, Weston? 20. So you got, uh, based on that calendar, you, you've got 58 years left. That's a good amount of time, right? So for my sister, uh, so the, the life expectancy for women is actually 80 the life in the United States. The life expectancy for men is 75. Sorry, guys. Like, live, live shorter. All right. So, uh, so for my sister, she actually has uh, these check boxes, these, these boxes in the back of her Bible, one for each of those ex- life expectancy years. All right. She actually checks them off each year as she goes through. All right. and, uh, and when you look at something like that, you're like, oh, especially like when you get to like your mid third, like, you know, I'm, I'm, my life expectancy is, is 75. Uh, I, I'm, I'm 36. I'm like halfway there. <laughs> like, like, halfway there. Halfway there. It is a sobering reminder of that memento mori. All right. Um, it, again, like by God's will, if I even get this, you know, if we get to 75, tomorrow's not promised. All right. But that's like a, a, something to at least kind of set our hearts on to remember that, that, that it's temporary. 
Going back to David, David knew this well, right? Again, we already looked at uh, the last thing he did at the end of his life is, is wanting to build that, that, um, that forever home for God, that temple for God. Um, and actually what he's saying in that song at the end of, um, end of his life in First Chronicles is actually very similar to this psalm that he wrote in Psalm 39, all right, the same sort of ideas. Psalm 39, the sweet psalmist of Israel, King David, sings, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all of my fathers. Again, that idea, we're sojourners in this world. We're sojourners in this body. This goes so much against what the world says. Right? The world says the world doesn't want to think about death. The world doesn't want to think about um, uh, the the end. You know, how many of you guys have heard these things? You know, eat, drink, and be merry. That actually comes from the Bible. It's mocking like the the, the language of the world. Eat, drink, and be merry. Um, when I, when I was uh, in high school, there's this band, Dave Matthews band. They actually have a song about this, like eat, drink, and be merry. All right, for tomorrow you die. All right, um, and so like if this life is the only hope you have, of course, eat, drink, and be merry right now. All right. You only live once. Who's heard that phrase, right? You only live once. All right. um, live your best life now. That's a great, that's a, that's a super popular one, right? Live your best life now, right? Because this is the only one that you get. But that's not the biblical idea. Like, that's not the biblical idea. That's the opposite of that sojourner mentality that God calls us to. And First Peter, um, he actually says that Peter encourages us to, to resist that way of the world, all right? because we have a hope in another life. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, citizens of the kingdom of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. All right. If we're just thinking that this is just the only life, yeah, absolutely. Eat, drink, and be merry. Live your best life right now. But as believers in Jesus and the hope of what he's promised, we know that actually we're going to live our best life next. All right? We're going to live our best life with Jesus in the kingdom to come. We're really going to live our best life um, in, in the second coming, in our resurrection, resurrected body. You know, you only live once. That phrase, you only live once. You know what Martin Luther says about that? He said, actually, in the margins of his Martin Luther Bible, he wrote this. Uh, in, in, the, in Revelation, he wrote this in the sides of his Bible. He said, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. All right? We actually live twice. All right? That's what Martin Luther is talking about. That's the hope of the revelation. That's revelation of Jesus Christ. You're born once, you, you die twice. All right? There's a second death coming. That's the judgment of, of Jesus in Revelation. It says, when John sees the judgment throne... He says, this is the second death, all right? When, when, if we go before the judgment seat and we do not plead the blood of Jesus, we actually die, the unbelievers would die a second time. That's the second death is what John says, and that's what Martin Luther's talking about. Unless you are born again, just like Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born twice. If you're born twice, you're only going to die once. All right? You're only going to die once, and that's that hope, all right? So that's the opposite of the worldly belief that you only, only live once. That's the mentality that we ought to have, all right? And that's really what the, the true human longing in our heart is about. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. All right? And this is that uh, kind of summarizing that whole idea about being sojourners in the body. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. 
If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, but on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. All right. That's that exhortation of us as sojourners here in this land, that we're a temporary country and that our true home, our true home is the kingdom to come, the new Jerusalem. John says this in 1 John chapter 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right. Memento mori. Memento mori, brothers and sisters. That is the, the call of the tabernacle, is that this is a temporary world. This is a temporary body. It's a tent. All right. It's a tent. And the permanent dwelling is with God. All right. And the beautiful thing is, as we come to that idea that we're sojourners, that Sukkot, that tabernacle's idea that we're temporary and that our future hope, our hope is in the future, our blessing, that promised land is what God is going to enter in. Jesus actually has that same longing. He doesn't call us just to sojourn on our, our, on our own. Jesus actually sojourned as well. If you remember what Jesus said when he was uh, with, um, in his first coming, Jesus said when the people said that they wanted to follow him, you know what he told them? He said, the son of man the son of foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. All right, that's the same idea. Jesus has that same longing because our longing for that eternal home is actually not just to be in that home. Heaven is not just a place where we'll ride roller coasters and have fun, right? That home, the home is not the building. Like when I look back on our old house, like the house we grew up in, that, that isn't home just because of the building. It's home because of the people that were in it, right? Like even after my dad passed, I'd go back to the house. I'd still have this homesickness even being there because he wasn't there. It's the person, it's the people that are there, the family. That's the, what fills us in that homesickness. We're longing to dwell with those people, that person. And Jesus says the same thing. when He said, I don't have a place to rest, to, to lay my head. When you follow the Son of Man, we're entering into that sojourner uh, journey with him because there's an ultimate home where God longs to dwell with man. He has that same longing. The bridegroom longs to dwell with, dwell with the bride. So as we as a bride, when we long for that city, that, that, that city to dwell with God, Jesus is longing for that same thing. He says, right now I have no place to, to, to rest my head. I'm wait, I too am waiting for that marriage supper of the Lamb where I get to dwell with my bride, to be with my people. That's the home we get to be together. In Revelation 21, you know, even though we are temples and, and, uh, of the Spirit right now, there is coming a day in that new age where there is no temple. In Revelation, when John sees the, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, where we get to dwell with man, shocker, there's no temple. I mean, to the Jewish people, that would have been amazing, right? Like, that, uh, incredible. They, they, they would have, like, thrown rocks because of that, right? The temple was the ultimate thing. But actually, God says, there won't be a temple in the new Jerusalem. Why? Because the temple is, is um, for us to have access to God, God's actually going to dwell with man. Dwell with man, and he will be the temple. He's, he's going to dwell with us. We don't have to, to make sacrifices. He's right there. He's with us. He's going to be with us. That's the longing of our heart. That's, that's the longing of God's heart. That should be the longing of our heart as well. Isaiah 66, this is what God actually says to, um, 
to David about it, uh, about the temple. The temple is good, and, and God loved David's heart to do it. But he says, heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand is made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. The temple that David built was beautiful, but these are earthly dwellings. God the heavens are his temple. The earth is his footstool. It's all his, these physical dwellings. What he truly desires is what we were just talking about, to dwell with man. It's the people, all right? The ones that he loves, he wants to dwell with. We're the temple and God dwells within us, but there's coming again a day that he's going to dwell among, among man, all right? First Corinthians, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit with you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, but you are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. But remember that this body is temporary, and we're getting a resurrected body. When we get resurrected with Jesus, we are going to come into the fullness of a body that doesn't perish. This is just the tabernacle body. All right? This is just the temporary tent. We're coming to a place where God, we're actually going to dwell with God. All right? um, that's God, and that's Jesus' desire. His high priestly prayer, prayer in John 14 is that he's going to prepare a place because he longs to come and dwell with us. Uh, that's the Garden of Eden promise. You know, the Garden of Eden promise, we were made to walk with Jesus. We were made to dwell with Jesus. We were made to, to walk with him in the cool of the morning. And that's the ultimate longing of our hearts. So that's that sojourner longing is remembering that right now, no matter the beautiful blessings and pleasures that we get here in this world, having a house is great. Having a healthy body is amazing. Blessing is good. But it's all temporary. It's all temporary because we're sojourners in this world and we're sojourners in this body. So uh, let that be a reminder to us in this, this, as we finish up this season, the tabernacles is that that very idea of tabernacles. Everything that we have and everything that we are in this body, temporary tabernacles, but Remembering as God was faithful to the Israelites to bring them through the wilderness of the tabernacles, that there is a promised land on the other side. And that's the kingdom that, of which we are citizens. That this is the kingdom to which we hope, where we get to dwell with God. Where we get to dwell with God. So that is, the, is kind of the heart behind tabernacles and the heart that I think we can begin to meditate on here uh, in response. That memento mori idea that, that we're in tabernacles. Uh, we dwell among tabernacles and we are in tabernacles. So as we kind of close that up, I'd like for us to just kind of spend a few, a few minutes here. Maybe Weston could jump on the keys here. Um, but to dwell on that, not with, a, not with a morbid somberness, but with a joy and hope. Right? Paul actually says, uh, you know, in, in loss and in death, we actually mourn, but not as those who do not have hope, but we mourn with those who, who have a hope of eternity with Jesus, like a, a final dwelling place and a resting place. So I'll just take a few minutes.